If you would, please join me in taking out your Bibles once again and turning to Acts chapter 12. As we turn to God's Word, let's go to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we sang a few minutes ago, O grant us grace, Almighty Lord, to read and mark your holy word, its truths with meekness to receive, and by its holy precepts live. Indeed, Father, would you open our hearts to receive the truth of your word, and may your word and spirit change us more and more into a people who please you in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're at week 31 in our series, looking back at our history and moving forward in our mission, an exposition of the book of Acts. Remember, Acts is volume 2. It's Luke volume 2. Um, if you would uh, turn with me to the beginning of Acts, Acts 1.1. We read this, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Indeed, that's a good summary of, of Luke's gospel. If you were to look back at the beginning of Luke's gospel, he's writing uh, to Theophilus saying, hey, I'm, uh, I want you to have certainty for why you believe what you believe. And I've researched this carefully. Uh, Luke, the physician, Luke is a careful investigator. And he's recorded this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for our benefit to, to know about the past work of Jesus and the present and continuing work of Jesus. Luke is not less than historical. It's at Luke and Acts. It's, it's absolutely historical, but it's much more. It's given, as we've been reminding ourselves, to inform us and to strengthen our faith. It's always good to remind ourselves of this great, long, comprehensive title for the book of Acts, the Acts of the Exalted Christ by the Holy Spirit in the church, founded by him through the apostles. The very title, the word Acts, reminds us that Christianity is grounded not in some kind of guru's philosophy. It is grounded in the acts, the actions of God in history. Acts, and indeed all of God's word, orients us and to, to, to the truth, the historic truth of the gospel, but it also uh, pushes us forward into mission. It holds us back to the truth and it pushes forward into getting that truth out to one another and to others. Last week, we were in the first 17 verses of, of uh, uh, Acts 12, prayer, I believe, help my Unbelief, And you remember, we started off by seeing prayer as a leading economic indicators, a leading economic indicator. Sadly, for many of us, often prayer is the last hired and the first fired. You know, we, we finally get to prayer and when nothing happens, we, we stop praying. Prayer for the Christian should be the first hired and you know what? The never fired. It's a leading economic indicator of our relationship with the Lord. And the good news 
that we ended with was that Jesus prays for us continually. He is faithful. He has no unbelief when it comes to prayer. He prays for his people. And this past week as I was studying chapter 12, it dawned on me that you could have looked at chapter 12 also thus far as kind of a, a, a picture of salvation. There was a theme of prayer, but there's also a picture of salvation. Remember Peter's escape. Remember James had been killed, but yet God rescued Peter. And, and this escape, this rescue, it comes from the outside. It's done for Peter. You see, Peter didn't overpower the guards, and neither do we. No, a power comes in from the outside and defeats what imprisons us. And what imprisons us? Sin and death. Luke 12 and the escape of Peter from prison is a visible picture, I think, of an invisible reality of salvation. Well, let's move into... Uh, the rest of chapter 12. And I want to begin by just speaking briefly of some movies. Uh, movies. Uh, my father-in-law, uh, every so often when he's here, we, we go to movies together. That's been a tradition. We haven't done one lately, so we need to do that again. And some of our movies, it seems, always have the theme of transportation. See, back in 2003, we went and saw a movie about ships, master and commander the far side of the world and in 2010 we saw a movie about trains unstoppable and just a couple of years ago we saw a movie about horses called 12 strong well the movie about trains I don't think that was the best title for the movie because you know what the train ended up being stopped and so it really wasn't unstoppable it made for a great title, but ultimately it wasn't true. However, as we've already seen in Acts, and I think we'll continue to see, God's word is unstoppable. And just as we've reminded ourselves a time or two that grace flows downhill to the humble, grace flows downward to people who go low, humbling themselves before the Lord, just as grace flows downhill, so God's word is like water, that as it flows toward the ocean, it will eventually go over, go around, or go through everything in its path. Sure, it looks like it gets stopped up for a while, but it proves itself again and again to be unstoppable. Now, in a world where many things claim to be a sure thing, the word of God really is not able to be stopped. It is unstoppable. Well, let's begin by first considering how our text ends one chapter and begins the next. The opening and closing of a chapter. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, two senses. First, this is the, the second phase of three phases in the mission of Acts. Remember, Acts 1.8, there's three phases in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's concentric circles spreading out from Jerusalem. Well, here we're ending phase two, as it were, and, and the gospel is on the verge to go break out to the rest of the world. The gospel, in other words, is getting ready to go overseas. 
And we will see that next week. Well, there's another uh, sense, and that's chapter 12. It's a more narrow and focused sense. Look with me at chapter 11, verse 30. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So at the end of chapter 11, Barnabas and Saul go to Jerusalem with gifts. And look with me at the last verse of chapter 12. Verse 25, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. And so here at the end of chapter 12, they're they're going back to Antioch. Verses 1 through 25, it's it's hard to tell when chapter 12 ends. Does does verse 25 belong with chapter 12 or does it belong with chapter 13? Uh, Of course, verse and chapter divisions are not inspired. and There's a good argument to be made either way. I think we're going to keep verse 12 in chapter, or verse 25 in chapter 12. Now think about with me at the beginning of this chapter. Herod is on the rampage. He's arresting and persecuting church leaders. James is dead. James has been killed and Peter is in prison. At the beginning of this chapter, Herod, for all intents and purposes, is triumphant. But at the end, as we will see, Herod is dead. Peter is free. The word of God is triumphant. It's like a wrestling match. I I used to, in high school, visit go to wrestling matches to cheer on some friends of mine. And I, and I loved the, ref, the referees awarding points. You know, points for uh, the takedown, the escape. But my favorite was for the reversal. You got two points for the reversal. Remember, the guy on the bottom is on his back. He's about to be pinned. And before you know it, he's on top of the other guy. And the referee signals reversal, two points. It's exactly what we have going on here. There is a reversal. It's, a, it's good to see the whole chapter because if you stopped at the beginning, those first few verses when Herod is triumphant, it would be greatly discouraging. But of course, that's not how the chapter ends. It's the, the word of man versus the word of God. Not only does the word of God here escape and have a reversal, but it triumphs, it wins. Join with me now as I read verses 18 through the end of the chapter. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down. Because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. 
when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Well, when it comes to the word of God, our text should help us realize and remember two facts of life. First, the word of God will be opposed. It always has been. It presently is being. And it will be for a time. And secondly, the word of God cannot be defeated. Then, now, or ever. Let's take a look at the word of God will be opposed. Verses 18 through 23. Well, we've seen it in all of Acts thus far. Persecution comes from outside the church. Remember in chapter 4, they are brought before the council. We see it in chapter 5, there's an arrest and jail and beatings. So there's trouble coming from the outside, but there's also corruption and compromise, true hypocrisy found on the inside of the church, as we saw with Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5. And in chapter 6, we, we, we see that there, was, there could have been opposition through distraction going on within the ministry of the word. Because had that not been properly addressed, had the, the apostles not been able to focus on the ministry of the word and prayer, and had not the widows been cared for through what became deacons, there, there's a great danger of disunity and division within the church. So we see in Acts already that in general, the, the word of God is opposed. And we see it in particular here with Herod. Herod versus the leaders of the church. He, he kills James and he imprisons Peter in order to do what? Just have him serve seven to nine years based on the sentencing recommendations? No. To, to kill him. He was in, he's been held in prison to be taken out and, and executed. Remember that, that Herod, for as, for as big of a man as he thinks he is, he's really... In the fear of man, right? Look at verse 3. It pleased the Jews. That's why Herod did it. He was a man pleaser. He was going to kill Peter to win favor from the Jewish religious leadership in particular. And, and here, look how Herod responds to the escape, the rescue of Peter. I'm going to reread verses 18 through 19 again. Now when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the centuries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. You see, those soldiers guaranteed they weren't sleeping. They knew that if their prisoner escaped, it meant their life. There's no explanation, no satisfactory explanation. And so Herod holds them responsible. And he, the text actually says he leads them out. They are led out for execution. Yeah, there was death. It wasn't Peter. It was those guarding Peter. Now the scene shifts from Jerusalem to Caesarea. Look with me. Again, at Herod's response to being praised as God. We see it in the middle of 23, being given glory by man. Now, how did, how did this oration come about? Well, here's verse 20 and 21 and 22 again. Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord 
And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, that chamberlain's a fancy word to his most loyal personal assistant, his body man, his closest advisor, the one he trusts, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. The people want peace. The people want Herod to ensure that the food supply gets to them. They're politically motivated to be at peace, and they've obtained an audience with the king. Now, Josephus, the Jewish historian, also writes of this incident. And this is a clear example of the historicity of the scriptures. Because we have secular Jewish historians accounting for this incident as well. And Josephus says this. When, he, when, when the people say what they said, he said, The king did neither rebuke them nor reject their impious flattery. Look again at the beginning of 23, or the middle. He's going to be struck down because he did not give God the glory. He's struck down. He's eaten by worms. He breathed his last. In other words, he died. And why? Because he did not give God the glory. Herod opposed God's word by accepting glory and praise for himself, by not giving glory and praise to God. You see, Herod, who remember his grand, he's got Jewish blood in him. He's familiar with the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. He knows what God's word says. And God's word, the Hebrew scriptures consistently teach that when a person exalts himself or allows others to exalt him, God will bring him down. We see that in Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel where people wanted to make a name for themselves. We see it in Isaiah 14 where God just shows what happens to people who exalt themselves. We saw it and heard it in Daniel 4 with Nebuchadnezzar. Let's, let's move on now as we see illustrated by the defeat and death of Herod. That this, this background that we just saw, we'll look at it in more detail, it, it, it's background for the summary statement of verse 24. And it may be there to serve as a contrast. You see, verses 23 through 25 remind us that the word of God cannot be defeated. Let's go back to Herod. Herod is judged. King Herod is judged. God's word defeats the opposition. You see, Earlier in Jerusalem, Herod experienced disappointment. Peter has escaped. He's disappointed. But here in Caesarea, he doesn't experience disappointment. He experiences divine judgment. You see, Herod is struck down for opposing the people of God and for his arrogance in being declared equal with God. You see, God is against those who usurp his position and claim divine honors for themselves. We've all heard this passage from Isaiah 48. The Lord says, My glory I will not give to another. My glory I will not give to another. 
Remember back in chapter 10 where Cornelius, the Roman centurion, falls down at the feet of Peter. And what was Peter's response? Get up. I'm just a man like you. And this is going to contrast with Paul later in chapter 14 when when people think that Paul and his companion were were gods. Hermes, I think, in particular. And, and, And Paul says, no, there's only one God, one true and living God. Imagine the scene again. The people are are hearing King Herod Agrippa I speak. And they say, what we're hearing is not the voice of a man, it's the voice of a God. I mean, put up a political rally and think about people's reactions to what they're hearing. Proverbs 27, 21 says this, man is tested by the praise he receives. Because whenever you or I receive praise from someone else, our immediate response is going to reveal the condition of our heart. Do we receive that praise and think it's about us or do we appropriately, graciously deflect that to the one who gives us the ability to do whatever it is somebody just saw in us? You see, Herod is stealing God's glory. And it's not like Herod goes out of his way to commit a sin. Herod just doesn't stop a sin. Think about that. I think most of us are on trigger alerts like, oh, we should not sin, absolutely. We should not go out of our way to sin. But what happens when we see sin, especially in others, that causes us to sin, do we stop it? It's, it's a sin of omission, as it were. He, he's stealing God's glory. Ask yourself this question. Am I stealing God's glory? Am I attempting to steal what rightly belongs to God? Josephus, the Jewish historian, writes of this. He felt a stab of pain in his heart. He was also gripped in his stomach by an ache that he felt everywhere at once and was in that was intense from the start. And after five days, he died. So here's the judgment, the death of Herod. And and right after that is the word of God, uh, what increases and multiplies. You see, God protects his people. And God judges his enemies. Here are mercy and judgment side by side. Did you hear that the angel strikes again? For Peter, that blow meant what? Life and freedom. And for Herod, and Luke is being intentional using the exact same word. For Herod, that blow meant illness and death. Interesting, isn't it? One blow is life and freedom. The other blow is 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 illness, death. It's judgment. It, it gives us a sense where God can be both just and the justifier of the ungodly. And of course, it's through faith in Jesus. 
You see, we, we see that the Word of God is, is not only opposed, but the Word of God opposes. It opposes every effort of man to exalt himself. Not a week goes by before I have to go to James and Peter. And both of them say the same thing. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Herod hadn't read that yet. It hadn't been written yet. But it was already there in the Hebrew Scriptures. You see, you and I stand against God and His Word to our utter folly, to our ultimate peril. So Herod is judged, but the Word of God increases. It grows. It it goes deeper. And it multiplies. It spreads. It goes wider. And this is familiar language. It's the same language as at the end of phase one, chapter six, verse seven, that the Word continued to increase. The Word of God the gospel, a word of good news from God. And the church, the people of God, the people of the word, increase and multiply. That's why the word and the church cannot be really separated. Why so many words in worship? Because faith comes by hearing. Because we recognize that God creates Through His Word, He recreates and regenerates through His Word and Spirit. The Gospel is good news. It's it's a message. The grass withers and the flowers fade, we heard, but the Word of our God endures forever. You see, despite the attacks on the church from the outside, the Word of God continues. It continues. It, It multiplies. It increases. The work of God, the word of God went on despite the death of James and the departure of Peter. Remember, Peter kind of disappears from now on. Herod has a miserable end and slowly dies. And that's against God's word. Because God's word has a glorious end and slow growth. So in our text, we see the miserable end, the slow death of Herod, and the glorious end of God's Word and its slow growth. You see, we should see that the Word of God is undefeated. And yet, doesn't it look like sometimes it is defeated? Why? Because the game is not over yet. You see, players are still on the field playing, and the war is not over yet. Soldiers are still in the field fighting. But one day, one day the buzzer will end, or excuse me, the buzzer will sound, and the guns will go silent. But until that time, we all live in the tension between the already and the not yet. We, we, we feel this tension as we walk by faith and not by sight. Because our eyes sometimes see that it's the word of God that's being stopped. And, it, and it's the tyranny of man that's increasing. But thanks be to God that we have the truth before us to encourage us, to give us hope. So let's go back to, to the facts of life. And it, it's, it's vital for us to have knowledge of these two facts of life. Why? Two reasons. First... So we won't be surprised. 
So we won't be surprised. In this world, you and I will have trouble. We will be in trouble. The world opposed Jesus. The world will oppose his church, his people, and his word. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. And secondly, not only so that we won't be surprised, but so that we will be confident. We can trust that God defends his glory and grows his word. And these two facts... That God defends his glory. He grows his word. Serves to keep us humble. And to give us hope. And we need both humility and hope. I want to finish up where we began. With great movie titles. Unlike the train and what the world would have us believe. God's word truly is unstoppable. You all know that, right? Those of you that came, come to faith, came to faith in Christ later in life, you saw the word of God break through your hard heart, your resistance, your rebellion. The word of God is unstoppable. It's unstoppable for us because going back to the complete title of the second movie mentioned, Or no, it was the first movie. We do have a master and a commander. But he is not on the far side of the world. But rather he has come near to us. He is not a skilled but nonetheless flawed captain of a ship. Rather he is the captain of our souls navigating us to the ultimate safe harbor. See, Scripture... Scripture makes it clear that the train is leaving the station and the ship is sailing. And we know that because Jesus said this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's how Jesus opened up his ministry in Mark's gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And believe in the gospel. You see God's word says to all who can hear. All aboard. Get on board. Through repentance from sin. And faith in Jesus Christ. My friends. The train is rolling. The ship is underway. Where are you? Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this narrative account that we see that when man exalts himself, you bring him low. Oh, Father, it's a tendency within all of us to think much of ourselves and to to not think much of you. Oh, Father, would you indeed reverse us today? Would you enable us to exalt not ourselves, but to exalt you? And Father, help us to humble ourselves before you, knowing that you will exalt us in due time, whenever that time is. Oh, Father, we thank you that your word is indeed increasing. 
Your word is multiplying. And Father, may your word have, have its way among your people here at Grace and Peace. May, may we see in the coming months and years and decades the word of God here increasing, multiplying, lives being changed, and using us to extend the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. We respond.